0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlowski. Hey, listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Doors of Portland. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service and all garage door repairs, with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving West Portland out to Hillsboro? Call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at ProLiftDoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or ProLiftDoors.com slash
1: Portland. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, so normally you'd be hearing James's voice right here. This is uh, your other co-host, Nick, and the reason I'm going to be doing the introduction today is we have a sort of a special episode. I mean, it's just going to be the two of us, but it's unique in that we are going to actually be taking James, and he's going to be the interviewee instead of the interviewer, and we're going to ask him what the heck he thinks he's doing running for office <laughs> from downtown Portland. <laughs> uh, well, so, so first off, just in case we've acquired some new listeners... Who are you and what are you doing and how did you and I get to know each other and how do we get to start this podcast?
0: Sure. Well, okay. Going all the way back. I am a native Oregonian, was born in Portland, grew up in Bend, uh, spent most of my life here, graduated from Corbin University in 2006. Then I joined the Army, spent eight years in the Army. Well, five active duty, three National Guard throughout that time, deployed three times, came back to Oregon, got my uh, my MBA at the University of Oregon, started working at Intel, and started getting involved in politics about three years ago, uh, roughly the uh, 2016 election, that time frame. Something
1: happened something, in 2016? Something happened about the 2016
0: election. So that's when I started getting involved in politics. And I started out going to the Multnomah County Republican Party meetings. Uh, once the next election cycle came around, I started... Uh, Getting involved with some of the candidates, I knocked doors for Newt Bueller, for Lori Chavez Dreamer, Brian Pearson, and Nick was the finance director, right, for the Bueller campaign. I was
1: something? like a deputy, I a think deputy, was my title, whatever, whatever you were. Something. Um, yeah. Anyway,
0: so met Nick through that, and then after the election, uh, Bueller lost. In case you all were not. Aware, actually, all three of those people ended up losing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What's the common link, (laughs) right? Besides the fact they're Um, all Republicans, (laughs) right? So Nick and I um, sort of kept in touch. had a He had my business card. We uh, met each other for drinks one night and uh, started talking about what to do next. Since you know Nick was no longer needed on the campaign, and I was looking for more ways to get involved, and had the idea for this podcast of how to take sort of a, a different view of Oregon politics. And I mean, there are many reasons that I wanted to start it. One was to just kind of work on my voice of being able to speak publicly, being able to speak intelligently about things. And it's sort of a forcing function to get to know the topics uh, because I kind of, in the back of my mind, had the idea that eventually I would like to run for office. And being smart on the topics and being a good public speaker are two of the kind of important things For For some politicians, some folks just kind of wing it. (laughs) Yeah, so we've been doing this for a little over a year now, uh, which seems crazy.
1: Happy birthday to us.
0: Yeah, and uh, the last couple of weeks have been now that I am running for office and running a business and getting married in six weeks, seven weeks, and Nick is working full time and we have had been a little less regular about the episodes, but still think it's important to keep this going we've gotten a little bit of a following and it's been fun
1: that we do on all counts so you you were looking at running for office you kind of had that this nebulous thought in the back of your head and then we start doing the podcast do you get a chance to become not that you were ever not a good speaker or anything, <laughs> but you get the chance to become very articulate on a lot of different issues. We get the chance to interview a lot of very well known, very well connected, very well read, very intelligent uh, Oregonians here in the in center right politics. And you made the decision to actually pull the trigger. And I'd like to ask what what drove you to run for HD thirty six for a seat in the state house, and what were You know, what were kind of some of the things where you said, yeah, I feel comfortable, like I could do this and I could win this race?
0: Sure. Well, I've always sort of been drawn to state politics rather than local or federal, and I'm not entirely sure why local or county politics never really appealed to me. I think it just it seemed like there's more to talk about at the state level. And federal politics just frustrates me, um, both sides. And we can have a whole other podcast about what frustrates me about national politics or several, uh, <laughs> but I always felt drawn to, 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 state politics and 36, you know, obviously this is where I live and you in Oregon, you have to live in the district that you're running for. Jennifer Williamson was the person who had been sitting in the seat for the last, you know, Two or three cycles. I don't remember exactly how long she was sitting here, but she was the Democratic leader. She wasn't the speaker. She was the the leader of the caucus. I believe was her was her title, and so she was pretty pretty well high up in the in the pecking order. And when she announced that she would not be running, that she was running for Secretary of State, and so she was going to resign, and this became an empty seat. Uh, I figured, you know, there's no better time than. Now to run for this office, I talk with Rebecca, my fiance, and you know we talked about timing and how this is going to be right during our wedding and a bunch of other stuff. But started thinking about it, you know, if I if I wait a couple of years, first of all, now there's going to be an incumbent, and second of all, you know, in our lives, two years from now we're going to be thinking about kids. Two years after that, we're going to have probably little kids. Two years after that, you know, and and it just there is no perfect time. And so just looking at an empty seat and the kind of the state politics that interests me anyway and, uh, you know, decided to pull the trigger. I think that, that both parties are kind of getting more extreme and I think as a moderate, there are a lot of other moderates that are not being heard and not being represented. And if there was ever a time that, things are kind of getting hitting fever pitch now is the time and the democratic democrats running for this seat are very left and so again as a moderate republican i think maybe there's an opportunity to come in and try to swipe this seat
1: okay that's certainly i would have to imagine as a non-candidate as somebody who's not you know put the time and effort into understanding the district certainly that you have but given the philosophies that we've got on this podcast, some of the the work that we talk about, some of the ideas we talk about, it certainly does seem like there is room to appeal to both the you and six other Republicans that actually live in the district.
0: <laughs> There's like 4,000. 4, so registered Republicans yeah. in this district.
1: <laughs> as well as the the logarithmically larger amount of Democrats, many of whom I would assume are – You know, there's far-left ones, but there's also going to be center even center-right ones. And you would hope that some of those folks are more interested in the issues rather than the ideologies that kind of drive each of the individual candidates, right? I would think
0: so. And this particular district includes the West Hills up above Portland. So there are a lot of, I want to say, higher-income, more affluent Democrats up there who, I would imagine, are seeing all of the taxes that are coming out of Salem. The— lack of services that are coming with those taxes and i would hope that they are a little bit frustrated with the way things are going at that they might be open to you know voting for a republican who is not so not so far right on the social issues this this has kind of been my theory since the beginning here is that republicans have great economic policy our economic policy, I mean, just look at what's happening federally. I mean, what, think what you want of Donald Trump, but this economy is doing great. and Can't argue that. A, a lot of that has to do with Republican policy, Republican economic policies. I My theory is that the reason a lot of people don't vote Republican, a lot of Democrats don't vote Republican, is because of our stance on social issues, whether it's abortion or gay marriage or transgender rights or, you know, you name it, immigration, race. All of those things, we don't, we are not the most empathetic of people. And so, or the party isn't. The party isn't very empathetic to those people. So if I as a candidate can come in and be empathetic to those groups, and that truly is what I believe, I believe we need to be inclusive. We need to be a a party that reaches out to these historically disadvantaged or historically marginalized groups and Tries to include them and tries to tell them about the benefits of re- Republican economic theory, and that's probably not the best way to sell it. <laughs> but know, still, so, this is why we do the podcast, right? We're still <laughs> still brushing <laughs> off those fine points. <laughs> uh, but just to say, like, look at what is happening under a Republican leadership. The economy is doing great. Donald Trump has a lot of flaws as a person but
1: also topic (laughs) (laughs) is be a long one
0: his economic policies are helping everyone you know unemployment is at historic lows black african-american unemployment is at historic lows it's it's just really amazing what this economy is doing right now thanks to republican economic theory
1: okay so it's interesting though because that i feel like touches a lot on federal issues, what are what are maybe some of the things that you like about Republicans here at the state level that you think would benefit Oregon, would benefit downtown Portland, would benefit HD 36 that your future constituents just are not exposed to because everything is just blue and Democrats up and down the line?
0: Well, to your point, it's tough to say what I like about Republicans because Republicans don't really have a voice in this state. I can talk theoretically about what we stand for, but really it is the Democrats who've been controlling the state for the last 30 years. And you look at what, what they've been doing and what Republicans have essentially been fighting against is this just continuous growth of the government that I just post, uh, Alan Alley just posted a article today about PERS and about how it's just, it's, it's titled Ponzi scheme, Pon, or Ponzi America, Ponzi Oregon, something like that but goes really detailed about how we are adding so much bloat to the government and each of these PERS people is eligible for pers and so the Oregon leadership have been increasing taxes to try to pay off this pers debt but the pers debt is growing faster than the proposed tax increases no one's doing anything about it and it's one of those things that it's very easy to kick down the road kick the can down the road and so people don't really see it. Uh, that is a thing that I think Republicans need to, that if they were in power, they would try to put a stop to, uh, is this continual growth of the government, which is gonna end up boy, boy um, not boycotting, <laughs> it's gonna end up bankrupting the state. Uh, that's a huge thing. Um, another thing is homelessness. Homelessness has increased 20% in the last two years, which is incredible. We are spending millions and millions of dollars on homeless services and yet, homelessness increases year over year. And I, I've been dealing a lot with the Bybee Lakes Hope Center, the formerly known as Wapato, and spoke to their executive director and I've been to a couple of events. I haven't actually been able to see the, the site itself, but they have a plan that basically provides wraparound services for everybody. It's all, all in one kind of facility. You have beds, you have meals, you have mental health services you have medical services you have job training you have they bring in people from the state to issue photo ids and it's all in one place because when you're homeless a lot of times you have multiple problems you have medical problems and mental health problems and you need shelter and you need a place to keep your stuff and the state solution to that is six different things you have to go one place for shelter, go to another place for food, go a third place for medical care, go a fourth place for your mental health appointment, go a fifth place if you need ID. Never mind, you have to pay the 80 bucks to get your driver's license renewed because um, more than half of homeless people are missing either their driver's license or social security card, which means they are unemployable. You need those things to have a job. And so you, when you're living on the streets and you have six different appointments at six different places... And you have all of your stuff on your back and you're afraid of leaving it someplace because as soon as you set it down, someone's going to go rifle through it and steal all your stuff. And so they end up missing appointments and it's just this insurmountable hurdle to do all of these things at all these different places. You need them all in one location. And so this is what the Bobby Lakes facility is trying to do. And they can do it for a lot cheaper than the government's doing. So the government proposed solution is all these just sort of different places that specialize in these different things that don't actually fix people's problems. The other thing is there's this this huge conflict of interest where they receive funding based on the number of people that they admit. And so if the number of people they admit goes down, they lose funding. Hmm. So there's this kind of th- this incentive to and again these people are not doing this maliciously. They're they do I believe they do really want to help people, but there's also this there's got to be this thing in the back of their mind where they're saying if we solve homelessness and nobody comes through that door, all the people in this office lose their jobs.
1: You Work yourself right out of the job. Exactly.
0: And, and nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to go looking for another job, especially when they put 20 years into this, into this service. And so it's just this horribly inefficient system that doesn't actually address people's needs in the way that they need to be addressed. And then you have this Bybee Lakes facility that has a plan of doing things in a way that can actually help people. They've got um, shelters up and down the coast that have been putting this model into practice for the last, I don't know how many years, but they, it works. You know, they've got this on a smaller scale at several places along the coast and they don't qualify for funding because the way things are set up, because money always has like money that comes from the state or from the federal government always has strings attached and the strings make it the strings are, are this problem centric solution. You know, if you want to help people for mental health, you can jump through these hoops and set up a mental health facility and get federal money for that. But if you want to create a all in one single source that actually helps people, you don't qualify for that funding. They were talking about this one grant that they had looked at that would have given them, I believe they said $12,000 a year, but would have required them to Enter a bunch of data about the people that they were helping into this state system that gets rolled up to the feds or something. I don't. And what he said is for a $12,000 grant, it would have cost them $18,000 just in data entry of just hiring someone to input that data because it was such an inefficient system. You could not say person arrived day one, person left day 30. You had to each and every day input this person is here day one. Hmm. This person is here day two. This person is here day three. And so it's just this d- bureaucratic mess of a system. And so they, they declined it. They said, we don't, we're, we're not going to accept that money because it's, it's just absurd. And that is just indicative of the things that they've been dealing with. So homelessness is a big issue for me. I live in downtown Portland. I see this all the time. And I said the other day, this is, not a left versus right issue this is a human issue and we have plenty of money in the system to help every homeless person on the streets of portland we just need to allocate it better the the system as it is is not working and with the solution is not more money the the metro is just proposing a new tax on high-income individuals to create more affordable housing or something that's not the answer. The answer is taking the money that is existing, that is already allocated for this purpose, and actually putting it toward a system that works and not a system that just makes the problem worse and perpetuates the the
1: status quo. So you're running headfirst into this problem where... PERS is enveloping everything and just costs are going to go up and up and up because of this, this overhanging PERS. You're running because homelessness is up 20% over the last two years and you're asking the voters to make this your problem. Are, are you sure you're okay? Like you need a glass of water or something? What's, what's going
0: (laughs) on to make this my problem? Make this, make this the solution. And this, this, I think this is, we just need the step one is to bring, just shine a light on the problem everybody recognizes that there's a homelessness problem in Oregon. The answer is not just spending more money. And the pers plot problem, this is a whole other issue but
1: on which we've got podcasts. <laughs> we do. But the
0: public employee unions give money to Democrats. Democrats then pass bills that protect the interests of these public employee unions and then the employee like it's it's a big cycle. So the the Employee unions give money to Democrats. Democrats pass bills to pa- to protect the interests of the unions. And one of the big things that the unions want is to continue growing PERS. That's one of the best benefits that they can give to their people. And any attempt to reform the system or create a system that is more sustainable, any Democrat who t- has taken money from the SEIU will get slapped and Will not receive support from from one of their biggest donors, and that happened in in the last legislative session. There was a sort of half baked plan to reform PERS. It was sort of a restructuring. It wasn't really a reform. It was it, it didn't do the things that it said it was going to do. But it was an attempt, and and I, I applaud them for actually attempting that. The SEIU and employ, public employee unions then announced that any democrat who voted for that bill they would not support in the primary this election cycle harsh so that leaves a lot of these people so the, a lot of these districts are that these these democrats come from are left-leaning and so a democrat's probably going to win that seat regardless and except so for this one except for this one this one's going to be remember, a republican so if you are a democrat incumbent your main Concern is the primary. You're concerned with someone coming and out-primarying you. And if you don't have the five-figure, maybe six-figure donation from the SEIU that you had been accustomed to getting every other time that you've run for office, uh, that makes you vulnerable. And they know it. And so that's what they did. And guess what? There's not going to be another PERS bill because the Democrats have taken their lumps and they know that they will lose support of their biggest financiers if they try to fix this problem. And so they're just going to kick the can down the road until and try to raise taxes to to keep up with this growing problem until, I don't know, until the, the state is nothing but a giant Ponzi All scheme. All we can spend money I, on is just yeah. PERS stuff. We are contractually obligated to pay, make these PERS payments. And so even if the... Endowment runs out of money. We, the state of Oregon, are still on the hook. And so the only way to get money to pay off these PERS pensions is taxation. And so you, the taxpayer, will pay a dollar to the state of Oregon. 50 cents will go to services and 50 cents will go to pensions to pay off retired employees. So every dollar you're giving, and I just made up those numbers, but every dollar you give to the state. Well, only half of it goes to the things that you're actually paying taxes for.
1: So that's obviously not super optimal. And I, as the, as the husband of a teacher, I can tell you there's bond issues, there's taxes, there's all this, that, and the other all the time. And she still has to go in and teach in these classrooms. Her building is a hundred years old and you get hand me down supplies and she's got to spend her own money every year to go in and get stuff. And Every single time altruistic Portlanders see themselves voting for something like that, you feel good. You pat yourself on the back. It's like, yeah, it's going to cost us a little more in taxes, but we're helping the children, helping the future. And it just, it does not trickle down. It does not get to the point where it actually helps the children.
0: Alan Alley made a good comment, I believe on this podcast from a year ago, that we have increased school funding something like 42% in the last six years. Has, have we gotten 42% more teachers? Have we gotten 42% more computers in the classroom? Have class sizes decreased 42%? Has anything gotten 42% better than it was six years ago? No, not at all. We're still the, the, none of that money is going to the classroom. It's all getting sucked up by PERS. It's, it's incredible and nobody's talking about it. Very few people are talking about it because it is a complicated issue and it's sort of a, it's easy to ignore because it's not happening right in front of you, but we need to fix it now or it's going to continue to get worse.
1: So what are, and this, this may be kind of two sides of the same coin, but let's say when you get elected, you get in, you're able to work with future state treasurer Jeff Goodman, good friend, friend of the pod, friend of the pod. Yep, been on the pod. Um, you're able to, to work with some other Republicans who have also gotten themselves elected we can we've solved the homeless crisis we've solved the pers crisis we've taken care of all of the things that you see as problems or that you are against what is what's like your ultimate you know pie in the sky what's something that you'd you'd be really excited to write the bill for what's something that you'd really Change in a positive way and like really get excited about
0: shoot, man. I think that's it. Like that, <laughs> those two things, if we can fix those two things, I'll, I'll call out a W, man. Go. That's a win. Um, yeah. On- honestly, I am not real excited about new legislation. And maybe this is me as a conservative. Uh, I don't know that we need more government. I think we need less government. And so I, if we can fix the problems that are, in the current system and those those two issues are i mean these are decades-long problems this is not something that can be fixed in a two-year session but if we can fix or even get start making progress on any of those things i would consider that that a w the other thing and we talked to education we we the, the education in this state is abysmal bottom five in the nation graduation rate as nick mentioned there old buildings lead in the water the, Still, I can't drink, on the drink yeah. from the fountains. Drink from um, the fountains, hand-me-down supplies, teachers using their own money, and the result is, like I said, bottom five graduation rate in in the nation. Which is, we are spending so much. We spend so much money in taxes. We have such a high tax burden in this state, and yet we cannot figure out education. We cannot figure out how to fund schools in such a way that they are effective. And I think that goes back to the PERS things. If we can fix PERS, all the money that is being spent in taxes can then be allocated to things that help people. We can you know, fix the roads. We can hire more teachers. We can pay teachers better. We can build new schools, and we can fix the pipes so you can drink out of the fountains. All of these problems can be fixed if we aren't spending money unnecessarily on PERS.
1: Well, and that's – and to your point, this has been a problem in the state for a very long time, and the Democrats have been in charge of the state for a very long time, and we have gotten exactly nowhere. We're, in fact, worse off now than we were 10, 20 years ago, and there's no real sign of anything improving. There's there's this vicious cycle between unions and candidates who then get elected and turn into uh, legislators and there's just not a real, there's no real way out of the hole. The only thing that they've come up with so far is to increase taxes. And you and I know several people at least. And there's a lot of folks who just, who uproot themselves and they just say, I, I just can't do Oregon anymore. I just, I, I gotta get to Idaho. I, I gotta get yeah. to Texas, which Lord knows I love to get yourself some <laughs> Torchies tacos. Go down to <laughs> Texas. I'm gonna get down to Florida. And there's a lot of states out there where infrastructure is better than this tax code is better than this cost of living is better than this and at some point as society becomes more and more mobile you have to assume that the the influx of everybody coming to oregon because you know portland's a cool city or people like bend and 10 barrel and whatever you assume that that the spigot's gonna stop right
0: spigot of what what do you mean by which spigot the
1: Of population growth, of businesses being here, of taxpayers here, the, all the stuff that the left is counting on to, to support their kind of the only club that they've got in the bag, which is to increase taxes to try to maybe barely stay ahead of the purse problem.
0: I don't think they're thinking that far ahead. I really don't. I think that it's a short term, you know, hey, I've got to win an election in two years and that's as far as forward as they think. And I think that happens at the federal level too, is you get legislators who are more concerned about getting elected than they are with long-term consequences. Look at Social Security. Social Security is going bankrupt in the next couple of decades, decades too. Same problem, except the federal government can print money. And so it's not really a problem. They just print money to pay off the Social Security debt. Whereas Oregon can't do that. We're constrained by our lack of money printing abilities.
1: Well and that's I mean that's very true. I Social Security is actually it's got like 21 trillion dollars something saved up. So they're not in debt yet, but they're collecting money at a lot slower of a rate than they're bringing right. or they're, than they're having then to they're start it out. spit yeah. money out cuz yeah there's a lot of old people and frankly kind of Social Security was just designed as like all right well if you're still around like we've got the safety net for you but now people live on it for 30 years and that's a whole other category. whole of worms. other issue yeah. We can definitely we can have a Whole Social Security episode, but
0: <laughs> life expectancy has increased substantially since then, and people are retiring at yeah, to your point. So people are retiring at sixty five and living on Social Security for thirty years. When it was enacted, the the average lifespan was like seventy two, and so the average person retired at sixty five, stayed on it for seven years, and finite then finite amount of time, and then passed. And now we're living on it much longer.
1: I was, anyway. I was talking with a doctor. Uh, six or seven months ago and he said something along the lines of if you're under 30 right now there's a 50 percent chance you live beyond 100 and we think of i mean even now we think of hmm. living to 100 as like wow this is this monumental thing like oh my god that person's 102 104 half the people who are in college who are young adults right now will live beyond the age of 100 and now it's not 30 now it's 40 years or 50 years post work you're looking at growing up you know going to college till you're 22 working for 43 years until you're 65 and then living for another 43 years yeah and it's it's kind of a problem especially if you are are on uh if you're on pers and you're yeah kind of on the Oregon dole there and unfortunately to your point there's not Oregon bucks that we can just kind of give to people and it's like oh here this is good for one craft beer or whatever like we can't print our own money we're subject to laws of state so we don't have that uh, ability
0: yeah so and this is kind of why i think that there's an opportunity there might be an opportunity for republicans in oregon because the democrats are running the state into the ground with purrs and with homelessness and with all of these things that they are exacerbating with their bad policies but people still vote for them And the question is why? Why do people continue to vote for Democrats who are clearly on the wrong end of this? The only thing I can think is, you know, first of all, makes them feel good. It makes you feel good to take care of people. It makes you feel good when they, they ask for a bond to pay for schools or they ask for, you know, a, a income tax increase to, to pay for the homeless or to pay for services for the homeless. And you feel good voting for that even when you, and it takes another layer of thought to say, wait a second, we're already paying a ton of money and that is not going anywhere. It's going, getting eaten up by bureaucracies. Why do, are we giving them more money? They're just going to, it's just going to get eaten up by bureaucracy again. And so I, the other thing, like I said, is this, this social issues. If we can have a Republican party and I'm actually giving a speech um, on the 15th, little plug for that. The, uh, the young Republicans, I'm giving a speech there. And, That's kind of one of the things I'm going to talk about is the Republican party and, and empathy and, and how we, I believe if we are going to become relevant in this state again, we need to be a party of empathy and stop being the kind of the, the anti-party, you know, the, the part, the, the left has done such a good job of painting us as racist and sexist and, and Nazis and, and whatever and, if, and we, if we can fight that stereotype, not just through marketing, but through actually being a better party than what we were, we're being painted as, I think we can take over. I think that we can win elections in this state.
1: Just a quick clarifying question. Are you a racist, sexist, Nazi? I am not. Okay. Any one of those things? No. Ah, I thought I was going to get you there. <laughs> I said before we started, I was like, we told, we always tell people it's not a gotcha <laughs> podcast, but I said, I'm coming for you. I almost had you on that one. Are you a racist? No. Oh, okay. 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 You're oh, good. jeez, are good. So yeah, you heard it here first voters. James Ball, not, not a <laughs> Nazi. <laughs> so you, I, I mean, I fully agree A, because this is my philosophy. B, I'm pulling for you to win, but I, fu- I fully agree that I think you as a, self-described moderate we've had this we've had this conversation before you call it moderate i call it i think it's conservative to be Hmm. pro-gay and pro-environment and pro-reproductive rights for women but that's that's a whole topic for a very different conversation but as as you would call it as a as a moderate centrist republican you think that you've have a you will have a better shot here in downtown portland very urban district you've been out campaigning now what what have you seen on the trail well,
0: you know, I've been mostly talking with Republicans, to be honest, because this is still primary season. Um, there's still a small chance that I could have a primary challenger, and I need to make sure that should that happen, I need to have the backing of the Republicans in this district. Uh, once March 10th hits and the no one else can file for a primary, then I'll start talking with Democrats and, and getting the word out. But just having been here, there is such a hatred of donald trump and that's the other thing that i'm gonna have to work work against is there is this idea that a vote for a republican in a lower seat is a vote for trump there there are people who want to send a message to donald trump by voting democrat all the way down the line and it really does not matter what you have to say and so that That's, that's going to be the biggest hurdle, is trying to keep this out of federal politics and keep it at the state level and start talking about, hey, look, forget about the R by my name, forget about the fact that Donald Trump is a Republican, and let's look at the issues facing us here in Oregon. These are the PERS, homelessness, roads, congestion, education. These are issues that affect everybody in this state and that the Democrats are just driving into the ground. And making the problems worse out of their short sightedness and about and with their beholdenness to the people who finance their re election campaigns.
1: I think that that's fair. I definitely think that that's, that's a problem that you're going to have to work on. And I, I mean, I, we saw it in the new campaign, as everybody just said, Well, what do you think about Donald Trump? What do you think about Donald mm-hmm. Trump? And I mean, the right answer is it doesn't matter what I think about Donald Trump because yeah. I'm not running to be, you know, Go to D.C. and give Donald Trump a high five. I'm running to serve the people of Oregon. You are running to serve the people of House District 36. Donald
0: Trump has no idea who I am. Believe
1: me. (laughs) (laughs) I've tweeted at him so many times and nothing. (laughs) What is this? Oh, my gosh. In those conversations with Republicans, what are some of the things that you've heard or been told or had discussions about regarding this podcast, because I feel like it could be, I feel like this could be both an asset. You know, I mean, we talked about this mm-hmm. in the beginning. We're we're both better speakers now. We're both more informed on a lot of these issues. We both have some connections that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to make. But there's also a chance that it's a liability because we come on and we say, you know, we are the truth, tell the truth. <laughs> tell the truth. <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't have phrased it that way, especially when I'm running for office, but we've said the climate change is a real thing. There's a yeah. lot of Republicans that don't believe that. We've said vaccines are good. There's a lot of Republicans who don't believe that. And just in general, we are, we are viewed as moderates and squishy and cave to the middle and kowtow to special interests and I, whatever this, that and the other thing. So there's pros and cons about this podcast. And I'd be really curious to know because I mean, you and I yeah. have seen some of the Facebook comments. There are some people that listen to this and take umbrage with some of the things that we say. You know, for the most part, it's been positive. I think that some of the people that I talked to,
0: even on the, the far extreme right, are just happy to see a Republican running in this district. There hasn't been a Republican put their name on the ballot since 2012. And so just having a name here and being able to connect with them kind of on a personal level, even though we disagree on, on some of these issues, they have been, they've been supportive. There have been mainly on the vaccine thing has been. That's been the biggest one for with backlash. I think a lot of the other issues that that we disagree on, me, like me personally with with the Republican base, we can kind of agree to disagree. Um, I've talked about climate change in the Timber Unity Facebook group and basically said, yes, I believe in climate change, but cap and trade is a terrible bill. It's not going to fix climate change, and it's going to eviscerate the, the rural economy. And really what they care about is that economic piece the the timber unity folks and so even saying that and coming out and saying that i that i believe in climate change and i think that we need to do something about it there were a couple people that commented negatively but then other people who jumped on and be like stop why why are you fighting this you know he believes in climate change so what he's on our side he thinks cap and trade is a terrible bill because it is and i was down there yesterday yesterday you As know, of pro- this recording. As of this recording. Um, well, if this gets posted Thursday, tomorrow, I mean, yeah. yeah th- Thursday, the, the big Timber Unity rally. I was I was down there sh- supporting the, all those people uh, because it really matters. This climate change, th- this is, it's a tax wrapped in climate change greenwashing. That's what this cap and trade is. It creates, I'm getting a little off topic from your question, but it creates these tax credit, these, these carbon credits that are then able to be purchased and you know who's going to purchase them the biggest polluters and people like north like companies like like northwest natural are going to purchase as many carbon credits as they need they are going to pay whatever they need to pay to get them and they're going to pass those those that expense on to the consumers because they're a utility and they have a, vir- a virtual monopoly they can ch- they card charge cost plus and if their costs go up they just pass those costs right along to the consumers. And guess how much they continue polluting? Exactly the same amount as before because it does. There is no financial incentive to, to do so. And those are the biggest polluters, the smaller polluters, the, the mom and pop who guys who own their own trucks and haul logs around for a living. They can't afford to buy the credits. And even if they can, I believe that part of the law was that any truck older than 10 years is illegal. Like you cannot. So if you, if you are just barely scraping by with a 15 year old truck, you now have to sell that truck and buy a brand new one. Oh, and by the way, you can't sell it in the state we'll of Oregon because you, you have to drive it out of state to sell it. And so there's going to be this excess supply of used trucks on the Idaho market. In Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're not going to get a good price for it. And then you have to buy a brand new truck or a, a less old truck. And it's this huge expense that a small-time operator is not going to be able to to handle. So what are their choice? They, they go out of business. So small, small mom-and-pop businesses go out of business, and big businesses continue polluting at the same rate that they were going to. Meanwhile, the state rakes in a billion dollars in taxes because these carbon credits, you're not buying them and then they're getting redistributed among the, the people. You're buying them from the state. The state creates this fake thing and then sells it to people and they rake in a billion dollars in taxes. It is the worst one of the worst bills I've ever heard of. That it doesn't do what it says it's gonna do, hurts small business, creates a whole this whole bunch of taxes for to to pay for well, probably go into PERS, so it doesn't even go into services. It just goes into the government coffers. Awful, awful bill. Has nothing to do with climate change.
1: Clearly that's a that's passion of yours. And that's definitely something that's <laughs> going to affect a lot of voters in this state, a lot of business owners in the state, a lot of constituents in the state. And it ends up being a huge problem to have no real solution. Cause I, like you said, there's not any less pollution in the air. It just, that it's more expensive to all of us, to all the people who consume goods and services in the state of Oregon. And the problem doesn't get solved.
0: Yeah. And another thing that I said, I, on facebook a number of times is promote logging i mean what better way to sequester carbon than cut down a tree build something out of it and plant another tree younger trees sequester more carbon than older trees do anyway and if you keep this cycle going you event and you build these things out of wood build houses you you store that carbon until the until the house you know gets demolished 150 years from now but sounds like you're kicking your
1: can down the road (laughs) <laughs> That's Maybe 50 years from now problem.
0: <laughs> no but as, as long as populations continues to grow i mean it is it is a i guess it's not a perfect solution but it's something and it goes moves the ball in the right direction nice one <laughs> thanks i had i mentioned that and someone said oh it's not enough like that we are producing so much carbon that simply cutting down trees and replanting them is not enough well you know what else isn't good enough Anything we do in the state of Oregon, 0.18%. 0.18. That is That is the amount of carbon that Oregon produces of the world's carbon, 0.18%. 18 hundredths of a percent. If we were to drop our carbon footprint to zero, the global carbon footprint would go down 0.18%. It's
1: honestly a lot higher than I thought. I didn't even think we'd hit 0.18%, <laughs> but yeah that's but talk about a drop in the bucket.
0: That's the thing. I mean the whole point of Oregon doing something for climate change is hoping everyone else does the same thing first of all or it just being a leader in the field and showing what is possible and I get that. but if all we're doing is something that's symbolic, if this is just symbolic, then why not just why not just promote logging? Why do this complicated? carbon tax and cap and scam trade thing that's going to add a whole bunch of bureaucracy. It's going to hurt small business. And I know the answer. The answer is it provides a billion dollars of taxes to the state <laughs> government. That's why they want it. it. has nothing to do with climate change.
1: It's if you're Kate. You're sitting on and looking at that sweet golden apple. It's like, ooh, it's tough to pass up. I probably could have
0: spoken a little more eloquently about that if I had thought longer about it, but...
1: Ah that's this is podcasting. We we we're off the cuff. We shoot from the hip. This is what we do. This isn't a formal speech to anybody. True fact. So you are you're getting married which is that part's not sustainable. You're going to be married and not the marriage itself, Rebecca. Please don't mistake what I'm saying if you listen to this. The marriage itself, rock solid, very sustainable. The planning for the marriage is only going to last another six weeks or so. Yep. But after that, you will still be a small business owner and mm-hmm. you will still be campaigning for and serving in the legislature. What do you think uh, your life is going to be like when you're doing both of those things concurrently? Well, probably pretty similar to what, it, what it's like now. A lot of work,
0: um, not a lot of free time. <laughs> uh, the way I structured the business and the way I structured the campaign in such a way that I can do both, uh, I think the business is like I've got a technician to go out and do the work and so I my job is business development and finding new business and building the business, not necessarily working in the, in the business and going out to jobs. And then the campaign, you know, it's really easy to put as much or as little time into a campaign as you as you can it does like you can put 60 or 80 hours a week if you choose to, or you can just put your name on the ballot and hope for the best and anywhere in between. So I've, I think I've found a pretty good balance. I, I do not have a lot of free time, but, uh, which is why this podcast has not been <laughs> updated <laughs> in three, week four, think, three, four, three, four weeks. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but we're, we're, I think I can make it work. And once, um, once Rebecca and I move in together, you know, we'll I'll have a a partner who can b- provide some emotional support and <laughs> I thought I'd
1: provide emotions. This is why we do the podcast. This is like group therapy. You don't here. you don't live with me though. That's this the- is true. <laughs> Madeline would ask a lot of questions. All right. So you know the drill, you know how we end our podcasts. Ooh. Who's your favorite Republican? Favorite Republican. You know, I I
0: I'm gonna have this is a cop out, but I'm gonna go O.G. Abe Lincoln,
1: Abe Lincoln.
0: You know, you really just can't go wrong with that guy. I mean, we I, I talk about empathy, I talk about reaching out to disadvantaged communities. I mean, what better Republican that reached out to disadvantaged communities than Abraham Lincoln? You know, the whole point of his presidency was to end slavery, and he had to fight a war and ended up getting assassinated over it. You know, what better role model for the Republican Party of looking out for? Other people and righting a wrong and standing up for the right thing regardless of the cost.
1: Abe Lincoln. Couldn't agree more. Please don't get yourself assassinated. (laughs) I will do my best. There you go. All right, listeners. Well, this has been fun. It's been fun for me to kind of take the helm as host and be the guy who's asking the questions and everything like that. I hope it's been fun for y'all. And James, this was a good one. Thank you. There we go. All right, listeners. We'll see you next time. Thanks
0: for listening to The Rational Republican. Please like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting service, or you can listen on our website, jamesaball.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, and if you're feeling extra generous, you can visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.